Blog Talk Radio. This is Cale Brown. Now, I didn't play a doctor on TV, but I will prescribe Brandon's buzz for absolutely anybody who wants to know what's really going on. Hey, guys, this is Brett Claywell from One Life to Live, and you're listening to Brandon's Buzz. This is Taylor Dane, and you are listening to the one and only Brandon Buzz. Hi, this is Lynn Herring on Brandon's Buzz. It's the great entertainment talk show on now. Brandon, I love you. Thanks for having me. This is Linda Dano. I'm on Brandon's Buzz, and I have to tell you, what a fun hour I just had. Ah. This is a great kid with a wonderful heart and soul. You listen every day. I know I will. Hey, hey, this is Nia Peoples, and you are checking out Brandon's Buzz right now. Hi, everyone. This is Eric Martin from the band Mr. Big. I'm live and kicking on Brandon's Buzz. Hi, this is Dave Romero, and you're going to love buzzing with Brandon's Buzz. Hey guys, welcome back to Brandon's Buzz. I am Brandon. I've got a fantastic lady on the phone, and we've got a lot to talk about, so we're just going to jump right in here. You know, my guest tonight is an Emmy-winning daytime scribe who, in her long career in soaps, helped create some of the most compelling characters and couplings, Luke and Laura, Bowen Hope, Patch and Kayla, John and Marlena, and so many others, in the genre's history. She's now a fiction writer, and she's working on a series of novelizations which feature some of the most iconic characters, past and present, from the rich 45-year tapestry of Days of Our Lives. And she's come by the bus tonight to give us a very special sneak peek. I'm a huge fan of this lady's work, and I am thrilled to introduce you to the terrific Sherry Anderson. Well, hello there, Brandon. What a fabulous intro. <laughs> How, can I How are you doing, my dear? I love that. I'm doing very, very well. It's beautiful out here in California today, i got to tell you. You know, it's it's. It, I mean, I'm here in Texas, and and you know, we had a we had a very brutal summer in terms of heat, but it's finally cooling off, and there's a great little front in here today. It's about 70 degrees. I've got the windows open. Ooh, it's great. That's nice. I like that. So, give me the 60 second bio on Sherry Anderson. Where were you born? Where were you raised? Where'd you go to school? Let's get that stuff oh, out of the way. Oh wow. Okay. I was born in Disneyland, um, near the Alice in Wonderland ride. No, actually, I was born in Los Angeles. <laughs> And moved out to Orange County uh, and grew up in Anaheim and Fullerton. And so when I talk about Disneyland, that is kind of, uh, that was my babysitter when I was growing okay. up. So when people say, gee, you know, where does your, your sense of creativity come from? And I think it might have been hanging around Mickey and Minnie for a long time. But um, as I said, I grew up there and mostly in Fullerton and then studied journalism and art and ended up at an advertising agency, and we did a party, essentially, for Pat Falkensmith, who was the head writer of Days of Our Lives then, and I found out she was looking for an assistant, and I was a huge fan of the show. And so wow. I knew the characters in and out, which I think was kind of interesting, because when I met with her, we had such great conversation about the characters that she hired me to be her assistant. And I quit that job. I was the head of PR department, but I thought, you know what? This is a fascinating situation for me, so... I took that job, and within six months, I was a writer on the show, and then you know wow. just learned everything really through Pat. It was a fantastic, fantastic training uh, situation, and so that's how I really got into daytime. And here we are. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Last year, just before Guiding Light went off the air, I brought in the great Pam Long, and and I think you may have crossed oh, paths yes. with her a couple times. Mm-hmm. And and you know, she's one of the best writers who's ever done that job. And and she told the story here that she more or less tripped into it. I mean, she started out as a model and an actress, and she just so happened to be on a show at that time, Texas, that was struggling to survive and taking ideas from everybody. And she ended up writing that show, and that led to GL, and that led to you know primetime and film, and 
and a hugely successful career. So it's funny how it just kind of you just kind of trip into things and it happens. You know, I've always said that one of somebody's biggest talent, and I think it was mine at the time, was being in the right place at the right time and knowing it. Because so many times people are in the right place at the right time, but you just pass by opportunities. Have no clue. Think, ah. And yeah. as I said, I was the head of a PR department in an ad agency with 40 clients, and I thought, go and be this woman's assistant for two days a week. Okay, there's an opportunity. <laughs> and I said yes, rather wow. than just saying no. And, you know, of course, that changed my life, obviously. But, yeah, Pam is a terrific writer as well. I always respected her work tremendously. But, again, somebody offered her it, and she said yes. She didn't you say, Gee, I don't think I could do that. You bet. <laughs> Did you always kind of know that writing was it for you? I mean, you know, I'm a writer myself, and I always kind of knew, but it took me a while to kind of come to terms with it. And I'm wondering if if you had the same sense. Not really, but I, the thing is, as I've said before, I actually like was the student reporter for the local newspaper when I was 12. You know, I just sort of had that natural ability. And so, as I said, sometimes, and you might feel this too, when you have something that's a natural ability, it doesn't seem that special. So you keep exploring other things and then coming back to that. Exactly, um, exactly. And, yeah, and so suddenly, as I said, I got into advertising, wanted to be in the art department, actually, and there was an opening in the in the publicity department. So I started there and was, you know, writing things for the LA Times and a lot of magazines. It just was always drawing me back in, <laughs> you know, that classic old thing. And I really, you know, it was, it's kind of interesting. When we were all writing Days of Our Lives, we all got fired. Pat got fired. And in those days, the writers were all hired by the head writer. It was a totally different system back then. So if the head writer went, everybody went. And I said, oh, show business, it's terrible. I'm never going to do this again, blah, blah, blah. And I still had some advertising clients. I wasn't that foolish to, to totally cut that part of my life out. And so I started my agency back up and had a great office down on the beach at, in uh, Venice. It was really terrific and got a phone call saying, oh, Pat, they've asked her to do General Hospital, and she wants to know if we want to go with her. And I went, Okay. Okay. <laughs> and so, but I truly, I said, yep. And I told my business partner, and I kept a few clients. And when I was writing on General Hospital with Pat, I was still calling the LA Times from the office occasionally and doing wow. things because I know, you know, it's a matter of let's be smart about this uh, because we all know how how life can be. And gradually, and obviously, that is. yep. And gradually, it all segued into you know all writing soaps all the time. Wow. And as I said, I was lucky enough to work with fabulous people then. When you think. Sure. From going back to Wes Kenny and Betty Corday, you know, and then working with Pat Balkin-Smith and Gloria Monti and Maggie DePriest, who I always say doesn't get enough credit and she should, Shelley Curtis coming over. You know, there were a lot of people that, Brian Franz, I've got to say, you know, he was on Days of Our Lives. I had a development deal with him when he was at CBS before he even came over to NBC. And I still remember hearing that this Wonderkind was coming to NBC, and I thought, wow, I wonder who it is. And then they said, Brian Franz, and I went, oh, wow. no, there goes my development deal at CBS. <laughs> but um, working with Brian was fantastic because he's such a good storyteller, and he cares so much about character. So, you know, it was pretty interesting to have all of those story meetings and, and that input. And it, It's just the most valuable thing there is. It's the best way you can learn, really. You talk about being in the right place at the right time and knowing it. You created or co-created or wrote for some of the most, you know, iconic, as we said, you know, Luke and Laura, Patch mm-hmm. and Caleb, Bowen Hope, John and Marlena, who are the the protagonists of the book that we're going to talk about in a bit. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, when you look back on GH and especially on Days, were you aware enough then to know how fortunate you were to be working where you were and doing what you were doing? I mean, did you take any of it for granted? You know, well, the first thing, I still remember meeting Pat Falcon-Smith and having that lunch at a restaurant in the Valley. And I still remember driving home in my Volkswagen Beetle and just literally screaming all the way home. I was so excited. I wow. thought people would think they were, I was insane if they would see me 
sitting sure. in the car, ah! Mom, I'm going to guess what happened. This is fantastic. You won't believe this. And, you know, I think what happens is eventually you kind of do take it for granted. And I'm not saying this about myself now, but I sometimes reflect back on how excited I was to meet her because of that job. And then I realized, well, then I had that job and I'm just me, you know. But I think now it's so interesting. I always kind of laugh about the Days of Our Lives card, which is sort of a pass to get into anything. You know, if people hear you worked on Days of Our Lives, they go, really? Come on in. Here, come here. So, you know, what that show has done especially, and I, I think as we know, it's historically, the fan base is phenomenal. And oh, in sure. And, you know, 15, 20 years ago, if you would go to fan events on other shows, then people would show up, but not that many. And then you'd have Days of Our Lives, and it was just you nuts. Bet. It was nuts. You know, you look at that, when we talk about the iconic time in the 80s, we, I don't even remember being number one in the ratings. You know, we were three or four, and as I said, mm-hmm. there were 14 or 15 shows back then. So, mm-hmm. you know, in the top three, but it was rare that we would hit number one. And General Hospital had that position for a long time, and it was really, you know, they had such momentum. And originally, you know, we talk about when, when we were there and when Pat was head running with Jackie Smith and all the things we talked about before, the momentum had started with Doug Marland, who really had the whole Luke and Laura story going. And I think Maggie DePriest is actually the one who had had done the story regarding Laura and David Hamilton. You know, uh, her mother took the rap for that. It was sort of the Lana Turner, Johnny Stampanato story. And, you know, it was at such a peak, and then we came in and maintained that and really solidified it. And then when the other staff came in when we left, you know, it included Leah Lehman, Tom Racina, Chuck Pratt, I think Bob Guza was there, Patrick Mulcahy, I think, was there fabulous writers that were just able to keep that momentum going. Absolutely. So we always kind of looked on it as still it was sort of part of our show. <laughs> and then Days of Our Lives, as I said, we were really lucky to have that same sort of sensibility, you know, because we were on kind of a, a roll from what we had written on General Hospital. And Pat really redefined the canvas on Days of Our Lives again by bringing in the Demiras and the Bradys. Pat was only there for six months and then left. But in that six months, there were a lot of things that were established that literally changed the canvas of Days of Our Lives. You know, I, I watch soaps, as I have for basically my entire life. And, and mm-hmm. soaps now, I don't know if the writers and producers just don't get it now or if the suits are so terrified that, you know, they just don't allow their creatives the freedom they need. But back in your day, couples would fall, slowly fall in love, and it would be mm-hmm. years before they really got together and were married. I mean, you know, these people yeah. would have to move heaven and earth to be together. Yeah. And, you know, I watch soaps now. I don't know if you watch Young and the Restless at all but or ever have, but, you know, their current hot hot young couple is Billy, Billy and Victoria. And, you know, this is nothing against the actors. They're both terrific, and they really sell it. But, you know, they put them together back in the spring. The families were opposed, but there was no real attempt to keep them apart the way they would have been back in the day. And, and you know, they were married in September, and we've barely seen them together since. So, you know, the basic template there is Romeo and Juliet, the... The the children of the rival core families fall in love, but there are no stakes. The audience doesn't go through that wrenching day-after-day torture of, uh, you know, maybe today is going to be the day, you know. And, you know, that happens on all the shows. I'm just picking on Y&R, but but it happens on all of them. You know, the genre and the form have changed in a jillion different ways, but to me, to my eye, that's the most significant change, and it has not been for the better. It's interesting. I don't really watch too many of the shows now, I have to admit, because especially shows that I wrote on, because it's very easy to be critical, (laughs) trust me. When sure. we were writing and it was in the heyday, we would get a lot of, you know, fans saying, what, do you ha- what are you doing? This just doesn't work for these characters. But, you know, I, I think about it, and it's sort of like in the books, getting to the books for a minute. It really is that. It's a lot of, when you say a lot of anticipation, that's what people 
want. It's like building up to when is something going to happen? When is something yeah. going to happen? I mean, in the Luke and Laura romance, if you want to call it that, that whole love story, I think they slept together twice in three years because it was all about when can we get together? How are we going to get together? What are sure. we doing? You know, and even when they were on the road together, you know, you didn't see them hopping into bed all the time. That's not what it, it was, was about. It was very chaste. Very chaste. And for, I was very lucky getting to General Hospital for a minute. Having been able to written, writ, written, having been able to write things from when Luke raped Laura, and the aftermath of that, which you know, and I go back to that whole story a lot because people now say, "Oh, she fell in love with her rapist," and it sounds like a simple story. It was a very, very complex emotional story, and it was the first time that date rape had ever been addressed on air, and so there was a lot of people that were really helped and moved by that story, and you know, both of them suffered from that experience. You know, her denial that it had ever happened. I mean, there were a lot of different things. Denial that it was Luke. I mean, because she was in love with him. But going through all of that and going to, I I was able to write that kind of thing, going to Wyndham's department store on General Hospital and all the romance of that was fantastic. You know, and going on the run and, you know, all of that stuff was really, really critical for me and helped build my romantic sense. And that's sort of what Pat used to say. I would, she could always depend on me to bring the romance to it, to some very interesting situations. People often say, wouldn't you come back and write the show? Don't you want to write the show? Well, first of all, they haven't asked me. And second of all, if they did, it would be a tough choice because of writing the books, there's so much freedom. It's no problem with budgetary restrictions, no problems with an actor getting sick, no problem with, you know, there's so many things that people don't realize go into writing because it's putting a puzzle together. And now the puzzle pieces are, you know, there are thousands of puzzle pieces, and you're stuck because of budgets. You know, I look and sometimes I think, wow, what they're able to accomplish on these budgets, even from a writing standpoint, to be able to try to make sense of the story. And you've got, like, three sets that you can deal with, you know. And, you know, we're hearing stories that they're shooting as many as nine episodes in a week, which is which is just insane. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, I have, as a manager also, I have a client on One Life to Live, which who is Melissa Archer, and okay. I don't know if you know Missy. She plays Natalie. And sure, Natalie, yeah. Uh, yeah, front and center. And, boy, is she a fantastic girl. Aside from being truly a l- wonderful actress, she is just the loveliest, most positive, upbeat person you would ever meet. And, you know, I'll look, we look at her schedule, and as you're right, she might have parts of 11 shows in one week that she's doing. So when you look at that and figure, they shoot it more like a film used to be, but a film on a really, 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 really small budget... <laughs> <laughs> and you know, and you think about the continuity, and suddenly you say, "Wait a minute! I just did this show two weeks ago. Let me think where I am today." You know, the trouble that they have to go through these days is monumental. Why it changed so drastically? I think part of it, to me, is the internet. You know, people now TiVo everything, and they DVR things, and people have a short attention span, so it's got to be faster, 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 faster. Sure. I mean, I'm of this school. If it wasn't that way, people would tune in because. <laughs> You know, I think people want to see the emotion. They want to see the longing. They want all that stuff. But it's sort of like a juggernaut that's hard to turn back at this point, I think. I don't know if you know the actor Scott Bryce, but he was on As the World Turns for years. Mm -hmm. And and, uh, I had him in here back in the spring, and we had a very interesting chat. And, you know, uh, we talked about a couple of things that, that were interesting along those lines. First of all, one of the things was we have these shows now like Inside Edition and Extra mm-hmm. and Insider right. and all these infotainment programs, and they are packaged these days as brilliant little miniature soaps. You know, you 
you, you turn on these shows and you get a few minutes of John and Kate and a few minutes of Brad and Angelina and a mm-hmm. few minutes of Charlie Sheen and, and, you know, hey, by the way, come back tomorrow and get a few more minutes, get the next beat of the story. Right. And so in yeah, many ways, right. John and Kate or, or Charlie and Denise Richards or, you know, Jesse James and Sandra Bullock, they're the new Luke and Laura, they're the new Bowen Hope with respect to the fact that, that the collective we seem to have an insatiable curiosity for what will happen to them next. That's exactly true, and the thing is, you don't know, and when it's real life, you know, you don't, you can't predict it. Exactly. I mean, I always That's say exactly too that correct. I think one of the reasons I still say that Survivor was really the breakthrough show for reality, as we know. And I always said that the thing is, with Survivor, they were so smart that they had, you know, like what ten million dollar clauses that people would be sued if you know anything leaked, and so nothing got leaked, and everybody was glued to their sets to find out what's going to happen tonight. It's like soaps used to be. You bet. You know, like you'd say, oh, what is going to happen? I don't know. And then the next day you'd have to ask. You didn't go and see a spoiler on the Internet. Exactly. Oh, that's exactly tomorrow right. I don't have to watch. You know, the other thing Scott said to me, and I was fascinated by it, and it's really stuck with me in the months since we, since we talked, is that you know, with the advent of Facebook and Twitter and all these social mm-hmm. media applications, that basically, for all intents and purposes, America is really entertaining itself. You know, people rush home after work and, and or whatever, and you know, instead of flipping on the television to see what's happening on their favorite shows, by and large, they're flipping on their computers and checking their Facebook accounts. And, yeah, you know, that's certainly all well and good, but it creates a tough new reality for those people like Scott, like you, yeah. who have made a damn good living getting paid to entertain America. Yeah, and the thing is, you know, when you talk about the Facebook and Twitter and all those things, you can sit down at your computer and spend five minutes doing it. It's not devoting now probably 40 minutes to seeing the show, you know? So you've got, it. it's not as much of a commitment, and it's really at your own schedule. I totally agree with you. I mean, Life has changed so dramatically, as we all know, in the last 25 years as during the, what is probably considered the zenith for soap. Any of us go and look at stuff that was done in the 80s now and the production values, which were fantastic then and still are. There's still, you know, what you can do now is just sometimes you look and go, oh, we thought that was fantastic. Exactly. Oh, that's pretty interesting. But for what it was at the time, it was fantastic. Still, I think what holds up from back then is story. The story was always great. I still remember and Queen Redeker... Quinn Redeker, God bless his soul, who, as you, I'm sure you probably know or remember Quinn, who was Alex Marshall on Days of Our Lives. But you know, he was also a writer, and the basis of the story, The Deer Hunter, was his, actually. But Quinn, when he was on the show, I still remember coming in, and he said, oh, you guys, it's fantastic. The show is it's all about the writing. And we said, well, we were all here before you guys. And the show, we didn't have, you know, the show wasn't doing very well. When the writing comes in and it changes and the stories are good, that's what the people want to watch. You bet. Then you have to have you know decent actors to pull it off. And, and talking about the acting area, it's interesting because, as you know, I'm also a manager, and we read with our clients before they go in and things like that. And what Pat Falkensmith, again, taught me, which I thought was pretty amazing, is to not watch them act but just close your eyes and listen because you want to have somebody that you can understand just in the inflection in their voice. Like I listen to you and I get excited because you've got such passion about what you're talking about, Brandon. <laughs> And you know you, but well, thank you very hear much. somebody. Kind of it, no, but it's true. But suddenly you'll hear somebody, and while you think they're doing a great job, if you close your eyes and listen, sometimes you think, mm, I don't want to listen to that voice. You know, five <laughs> days a week. I don't know if that's even being done anymore. You know, it was it was all then about the acting too, and and really getting great actors. And sometimes you get a great actor on the show, and you realize, you know what, this combination, this super couple, isn't working. And really trying to study it and see what the actors bring to it, because. It's really a, a blend when you see what an actor can do or can't do. You know, there's a classic, and I won't say who it is, but a classic actor who had a 
phenomenal career. And when he first went on the show he was on, they gave him like, yes, no, yes, no, because he couldn't act. But he was had such charisma, and eventually he obviously learned and has had a fabulous career out of it. But it's, again, the people looking and saying, okay, how can we utilize that actor to the best of their talent? Sure. And if you're not doing that and paying attention to it, then you know everybody's not connecting. You being a manager, it must be a trip for you to be on the other side of the business looking at the same business through a different prism now. Oh, very. And it's it's interesting because especially with having actors who will say, oh, I don't know why they're doing this, I don't know why they're doing that. Well, when you have been on the other side, you know, you have a more understanding of, yes, it's the pressures of what's going on on a daily basis. And you see, especially, as I said, in the soap arena, I see it from both sides. And I have a tendency to defend both sides because I understand. (laughs) The problem is when you're on the inside, there's so many pressures. And I'll say to somebody, there are 40 actors on this show. So when you say, gee, I can't get a hold of the head writer, if everybody's calling once a month even... (laughs) It just wouldn't work. But the actors, what happens, in my opinion, you see, they get so isolated that I was always stunned that actors don't get feedback. You know, you'll call if you would call an actor and say, "Oh, Christian, you, what you did as Hope was just beautiful today." She goes, "Oh my God, thank you." They're so <laughs> amazed that somebody even recognized that they did a great job. You know, because it's like, do it and go home. Do it and go home. Do it and go home. Because you know, got to get another one. Got to get another one. Got to get another one out. So it's very interesting seeing it from both sides. You know, I, I think it bears noting that daytime shot itself in the foot a little bit when, you know, as a whole, it kind of underwent a tectonic shift in its focus in the early 90s and, and pretty much across the board moved away from that hyper-emotional, you know, very magnificently romantic style that you very much helped, you know, mm-hmm. pioneer and maintain mm-hmm. toward a more gritty, more reality enmeshed style of storytelling. You know, the the glitzy 80s were over, the recession was raging, and, and especially post-OJ when the whole country was just riveted by that whole saga. I think the idea kind of came down from on high that people no longer wanted to see all this frothy romance when they when they flipped on the TV at one in the afternoon and and you know Days was one of the shows that very much had a had a tough time kind of adjusting to that new reality and that new governing idea. I left just before really the OJ stuff and as you say that that also totally shifted people's viewership. People were now riveted to the reality of OJ and what was going to happen. And rather than, as you say, going back to, and when you say frothy romance, I don't take that as an insult. I take that as a big compliment. Because people want to escape, to me. Sure. And you want to have hope that something can happen, and you want to get some insight into people and character and all that thing. And I do think that that shifted things dramatically. And when things happened, like the demon possession and all of that stuff of Marlena, (laughs) which, you know, I personally wouldn't have written it, but it ended up doing both good and bad for the show, I think. But, you know, I don't, if the romantic stuff works, people will come back. But it's having to get the word out there that it's exactly. happening. So it's all yeah. about you know promotion. Again, I want to go back to Luke and Laura for a second. When that happened, first of all, as I said, there were only three networks. There was no Internet, really. There was no cable TV, really. ABC also did the biggest marketing campaign they had ever done. You couldn't go anywhere without seeing Luke and Laura's face on a bus. You know, and that or on a magazine cover, or yeah, it helped. (laughs) You know, so it was a combination of the network putting the money into it, Gloria being an amazing taskmaster, and Pat and all of that. Really, it it came together so well because everybody was behind it and everybody was focused on it, and you didn't have seventy thousand choices. You know, now it's confusing, and in it, you try to even watch a primetime show. And suddenly you think, oh, I'm going to watch that one next week when a new show comes out, and it's canceled before you get a chance to even see it. You know, it's all about 
It's a business now. It's not about the creativity, as we know. It's about what's the bottom dollar. And, you know, maybe we get Bill Gates to come in and just donate all of his money to a new network called Total Freedom and let everybody do whatever they want. Maybe that would help. I don't know. So talk to me about a secret in Salem. What was the genesis of this idea? I mean, was this something you came up with, or was this something that someone ta- thought you would be perfect for? Well, it was really what someone thought I'd be perfect for. I actually was, again, doing some development <clears throat> with Corday Productions, with Canon, with Greg Ming. And because of the 45th anniversary, from what I understand, they decided, well, originally, I, I should say it goes back to Ken writing his, his memoir, which I don't know if you've had a chance to read it. I have, but it's fantastic. Oh, it's a fascinating story. The, for me, the part of his family history was, was the most important and intriguing aspect of it, and especially having worked with Betty and having known her, really, I mean, that was just so amazing that when they then decided to get that book published and they hooked up with Sourcebooks, there was an idea of more branding the whole show in, in a different way. And they came up with the concept of doing women's fiction, and then the coffee table book and the memoir and releasing them all, you know, spacing it out. And Greg said, would I be interested because I had, you know, worked on the show and known the show so well. And I really thought about it for a while. And frankly, it's, it, you know, it's a different kind of thing. And listen, I always say about head writing a show, they pay you a lot of money. And the reason they do that is they buy your life. And it's true because suddenly, you know, you go to dinner and you think, oh, wait a minute, I've got a show due in the morning. And you go to a play and you think, oh, I have to leave it intermission. You know, how can I steal something that I just saw for my next script? And it, you know, just just thinking about what what forty characters are doing all the time. I mean, it must it must take up your entire mind. It just must. It takes up your entire mind, and you know, you're constantly. I always tell the story of it was in August when I was working on Days of Our Lives, and my husband said, I was staring at the ceiling. He said, "What are you thinking about?" And I said, "Christmas." And he said. It's August. It's not Christmas. I said it is in Salem, and you know, so they buy your life. And you know, books. Let's face it. It's that's in chaos as well, and everybody's looking for new models. So the way they're releasing it, really through DaysInsider dot com, is pretty interesting. I don't know if you've had a chance to go. You know, you know last night I took a look at the first two chapters, and and you know, just kind of got a sense of what was happening. They, you know, as I said, the the money. When they were talking about the money, I was ah. But wait a minute. This is a. It's being in the right place at the right time and knowing it and saying, you know what, yes. <laughs> because, again, as I said before, people will always say, you should write novels. And you go, well, they're not going to, you know, I'm not going to sell any. You know, it's fine for me to read myself. But um, now, you know, with somebody coming with a publishing deal, you go, okay, and let me see what we can do. And And they had so many different thoughts about what the fiction series could be, whether it was backstory, whether it was current, they didn't know and gave me total freedom to do whatever I wanted. And so I came up with three concepts for the first three books. You know, I wrote long-term story. That's what I did for years. So these books, they stand alone. You don't even have to have watched the show to pick up these books and go, I get who these characters are, because it describes you know a lot of their backstory, which is pretty fascinating to try to describe. <laughs> you know, and it, it really takes you up to speed without boring you, I think. And then also, you know, there are other new characters, a number of new characters that are fascinating to read about and who filter into the next two books. But each one is a standalone. But at the same time, if you're a Days fan, I think you'll go, oh, I get it. I love these characters. Here they are. If you're not a Days fan, I hope you're going to say, gee, I love these characters. I'd like to see who else is on Days of Our Lives now. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know. 
you know, the history of a 45-year-old show must can be a bit daunting to try to tackle and, and work within the confines of, I can imagine. I mean, did you did you know immediately that you wanted to start with John and Marlena in terms of which characters you were going to focus on for this for this book? Well, I will say when Greg came to me, it seemed like John was the person to start with. And then to try to figure out if it was John Black, if it was whoever he was, you know, because his story was so fascinating. But the problem with his story being so fascinating is when you try to put that down in a few pages, it sounds ridiculous. You know, you're like, what? So, I mean, I don't know if, as I said in the, I was just, somebody mentioned to me in the second chapter of uh, The Secret in Salem, Marlena goes into a, I don't know if you read this, but she goes into a plastic surgeon's office and has to fill out her history. And when she's trying to write down her illnesses and, you know, the surgeries, you're like, what? And so it's funny because it's her saying, oh, and the demon possession, do I include that, you know? <laughs> and then you say, things like that happened in Salem. But it was really for me, as I said, since since Marlena was one of the first characters that was created fresh when I was working on Days of Our Lives, since she spanned such a long time and has such a rich history, for me, John and Marlena were the natural starting place, especially since they had left the show and he was paralyzed. There was so much to deal with sure. that I decided to start with them and really pick up now but dealing with all of those things that they dealt with you know, when they left the show. Plus the fans just adored them. So, I mean, that's a natural starting place in terms of, you know, capturing an audience for this thing. And then, you know, also filtering in other Days of Our Lives characters. Sean and Belle I never really wrote for. But suddenly they had on the story, you know, on the show, they had left to go on a tour around the world in in a yacht. And I thought, well, if they're touring around the world and John and Marlene are in Switzerland, let's see how they could meet up. And that's kind of, you know, that was the kind of thinking that I went through. And for me, it worked very, very well because Sean is a Brady. It was able to bring in Bo and Hope. You know, sure. a lot of different things and talking about Belle and their history and then with Philip. And, you know, so you're able to go through it and really touch all those things. And I was very, very big on, as I said, Google's my best friend now, but going through Wikipedia, going through the, <laughs> the sites, going through everything and really kind of cross-checking what everybody had done so that it was as accurate as I could make it to satisfy the, the viewers who knew those characters so well. How closely did you work with the show, I mean, with Ken or Dina, in, in writing this book and, and, you know, in making sure that everything syncs up with the show as seamlessly as possible? To be honest, I didn't speak to them at all. <laughs> okay. I didn't deal with, I hadn't spoke with, spoken with Dina because, you know, they're so either far ahead or behind and so busy. I did the best that I could, as I said, with watching the show, with talking to fans, reading what was going on on the show on the Internet, so that I didn't impinge on what they were doing. But suddenly, in the middle of it, you know, I'm writing something with Jack and Jennifer, and they, I read, Missy Reeves going back to the show. What? Yes. <laughs> I call and go, excuse me, what happened? Is she going back? So I really tried to, if anything like that I would find out about, I would try to incorporate it as best I could. But, you know, the truth is, as we say, the show is, gonna, is on now. These books, hopefully, a year from now, somebody will pick it up. Yeah, and exactly. obviously then it's not going to have any correlation to what's going on at the time. But I really tried to make it as, compatible as I could, and I think it worked pretty well. As I say, when I closed the last page of the book, when I finished the last line, I actually was very satisfied with it. And a lot of times, you know, you finish something and go, what, did that work? And I thought, you know, I really felt as a fan, and I'm sure you would get this, Brandon, as a fan, I wanted to be satisfied. I wanted to not feel cheated. I wanted to know what happened to the people. I wanted them to be true to themselves, yet 
doing things that were more interesting and intriguing to make me want to read another book. So I, I felt very satisfied with it when I finished. I have to say, I smiled. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Shane and Kim were briefly back on the show recently, and, and I'm sure the newer fans didn't have the foggiest clue who they even were. But, mm-hmm. you know, what a fabulous payoff that was for the longer-term fans. And I understand that Shane is a, it pops up in, in book one here. He pops up in book one. There's references to Kimberly, and they actually will be in book three. And I love Charlie and Patsy. They just lovely, lovely people. And you know, again, they, they still have that magic. And that's what it's about. There's some characters, and the interesting thing is, like Peter and Christian, God bless them, and they do a fantastic job. And in the early days, I think they will admit, they didn't get along very well, personally. But because they had that sort of difficulty, it got to be that it heightened the romance. <laughs> because they, you, it, you could kind of use that. You could see it, because they had a real strong connection. It wasn't necessarily the most positive connection off camera, <laughs> which it turned into a great one. You know, they're now great, great friends. But in the beginning, you think, uh-oh. But you saw something magic between them. Sure. You know, and then as a writer, you know, and I don't know what the writers do now, frankly, but we used to watch the show as well as write it so that you can see really how the actors are transmitting. You know, everybody is supposed to make it better. You know, when you write it, then it goes to an editor, and the editor should make it better, and it gets to the producers, and if they have notes, and it gets to the director, and the director should make it better, and the actors should make it even better. Everybody should add something to it, not take away, so that, you know, you'll look at the screen and go, wow, I didn't realize that dynamic was there. Hopefully it's the wow in a good way. (laughs) So don't give anything away here, but just kind of sketch out the general thrust of of what's happening in book one in terms of, you know, how it may or may not mesh with what's currently going on in in present-day Salem. It actually, you know, it takes. It starts with, as I said, Sean and Belle heading into Monte Carlo, where they're going to actually eventually meet up with John and Marlena because it's a couple of hours away. But there's a huge, huge party going on for somebody who would be the equivalent, let's say, of Paris Hilton, that all of these characters are involved with. And John and Marlena, they're living together, and everyone thinks everything is fine with John and Marlena, but he's still paralyzed. She is a very frustrated woman who loves her husband deeply, but, you know, what is happening with him? And they each have a number of secrets that follow them through the entire book. And they are then, because of an accident that happens, they are then brought down to, I said they, Marlene is brought down to Monte Carlo through Sean and Belle. And I don't want to reveal too much about what happens, but there's a lot of dynamics, you know, there's an accent that opens up a lot of secrets that, that filter back to Salem. And John and Marlena's relationship goes through a lot of turmoil and temptation before they are able to either end up together or still separated. So uh, it's a fascinating ride for me. But as I said, I love the other characters who are in there, uh, Charlie Gaines especially. She has two brothers. One is straight, one is gay. There's a gay storyline that runs through it, which, again, we weren't able to do back in the day, you know, 25 years ago. Now, fortunately, that's changed on soap, and it's a matter of it being real life, not something out of the ordinary. But as I said, it's a fascinating ride that deals with John and his paralysis, Marlena and her needs, a lot of family, a lot of you know conflict that, that leads back to Salem, as I said, between all the characters. But it's also very glamorous and funny at the same time. So as I said, I'm, I'm very satisfied that the audience or the readers are going to enjoy it. If you like to read. <laughs> if you don't like to read, I don't know. But if you're a reader, I think you will. If you're a reader and you like romance and you like danger and you like intrigue and you like humor and you like to have a glimpse into the, the, the shallow 
glitzy side of money in Monte Carlo, I think you'll <laughs> like the book. Has there been any talk, any talk at all of, of taking these novels, new characters, and kind of weaving them into the show once all these books are on the shelves? You know, there really hasn't been at the moment. I would love that if they did. The truth is I own no right to any of the characters, so I don't benefit in any particular way if they do or they don't. But it's open so that they could. I think the truth is the writers right now have so much on their plate with so many of the you characters bet. they're dealing with. And it's sort of like, you know, something going, oh, now you, we're, we're going to introduce you to this character <laughs> who's somebody you didn't create. I don't know if it would be, if I would as a head writer go, oh, yeah, come on in. But they certainly could, or maybe they could, you know, show up in a web series or they could show up, you know, somebody, one of the executives said, oh, this would make a great movie. And I said, yeah, for a budget of how much? It would be a $120 million <laughs> film. Um, I don't know if Corday Productions has that kind of backing at the moment. But anyway, so I would hope so. But I hope it just lives for people in their imagination because, you know, that's so important. You touched on this earlier, but talk to me about, you know, writing books versus head writing a soap. I mean, the obvious contrast is you only answer to yourself when you're writing a book versus, you know, working with a team of people on a soap. Uh, Tell me about some of the other differences, pro and con. Well, it is a pro and a con. The pro and the cons are that you're by yourself. And also, you don't have the kind of deadline situation that you have on a show like Days of Our Lives. And I always said people would say, what's your motivation? And the motivation was, I have to get this in or I'm not going to get paid and there's another show to do tomorrow. So, you know, the motivation wasn't, I want to be this phenomenally creative person. It was, it's a job, it's got to get done, it's got to get done, it's got to get done. And hopefully, to the best of my ability. Um, And with the book, you know, suddenly I can say, oh, I'm taking the day off because I'm, you know, I've got either work with clients or isn't it a beautiful day in Los Angeles? Um, <laughs> but, I, you know, I've been really lucky. I do a lot of writing when I'm not managing, like at the Chateau Marmont Hotel, which I, is a rather infamous place in Hollywood history. And it's just a beautiful place to be able to work and sit there with a glass of rosé and writing about, you know, all these characters that I love, or going out to a a friend has a ranch out in Santa Inez. It's Bernie Taupin, who is Elton John's lyricist. Oh, sure, And I mention that because my husband is actually his sidekick engineer on a radio show that they do called Bernie Taupin's American Roots Radio. It's on Sirius XM, The Lost. Bernie is a great historian, music historian, and he had just, Elton just did an album with Leon Russell that's out right now called The Union, which is... I think number two on Amazon. But anyway, Bernie's Ranch is fantastic, and when my husband is actually recording with him as his sidekick, I'm sitting at the ranch writing. And so those are the real pros of it. And the difference for me is, again, without the budgetary restrictions, you have total freedom to put in whatever you want in a book. Sure. You know, and I had to figure out how to structure it differently, so I kind of do it... It's about character. Who, what is this character doing now? You'll see it'll say John, and it talks about him, what he's doing. And then you might go to Sean and Belle as a couple and see what they're doing. So it's not that different, in a sense, structurally, except you know, you can get into really defining where they are emotionally rather than having to depend on the actor to convey it because I hate exposition on soaps, and unfortunately that's what a lot of it's become now, people explaining what they're doing. Yes. And in a book, you know, you can explain what they're doing and get into their brain and into their heart. And somebody recently said to me, do you have to get into the head of the characters when you're writing? And I first said yes, and then I corrected that, and I said, you know, you really don't get into their head, you get into their heart. And if you're in their heart and you understand their emotion, whether it's positive or negative, 
then you can write somebody successfully, I think. But you have to know them, know their heart, not just how they're reacting to a situation intellectually, but emotionally. When you get there, I think you're successful. But, you know, as I said, as far as the difference between writing one or the other, it's just being able to get that subtext across and to explain it and to put in whatever you darn well want. Without having to worry about what sets are available and what actors are available. Oh, and people don't get that. They go, why am I having this emotional, the actor, why am I having an emotional conversation like this in the Brady pub? Yeah. Because that's the only set you have. I'm sorry. Otherwise, you don't have a set at all. There is no scene, but that's the set. So, you know, those are the things I said that you have to deal with in the realities of a soap, why sometimes you don't have the kind of freedom that I've been given, which I so, so enjoy. So book one lands November yeah. 9th, I think, 8th or 9th. Yeah. And then book nice. two lands in the spring, and then book three is out. Probably be like July. It's, at this okay. point, it's November, March, and July. And once the trilogy is out there, if it turns into a huge match, which I think it's going to, I mean, because the concept is just bulletproof, mm-hmm. are you interested in making this an open-ended series of books, or, or will you have dealt with these characters enough by the time book three is in the can? I would relish doing 30 books. I mean, I'm just enjoying it so much. And, then, you know, the publishers and I talk about it and say, well, and the next series... You know, um, so as I said, I would love to keep keep it going. And as I said, if listen, it's all about them making money. Let's face it. If sure. the books sell, I'm sure they will go on. <laughs> Otherwise, I'll be writing for myself. <laughs> and suppose one of these shows calls you up and says, Sherry, we are in serious trouble over here. How about it? Would Would anything be sweet enough to lure you back to the well? I'm sure there is something that would be sweet enough to lure me back to the well. I've got this commitment at the moment and my management, so it's hard to just say I could drop everything, which I would not do. Um, I would love to consult on the show. I think that would be absolutely fantastic. But again, while they used to have the money to have consultants, now they don't. So would I be lured back? I would never say never. I've learned that that's not true. And it's a matter (laughs) of, as I said, being in the right place at the right time and knowing it. So. It would have to be the right situation, but of course, I think any of us can be swayed uh, at certain points. Well, I'll tell you what, I wish you the best of luck with this. The book is called A Secret in Salem. It's due in bookstores everywhere, November 8th or 9th or somewhere in there. Brandon, this was fantastic. You're a wonderful, wonderful interviewer, and it's been a delight to do this. Well, you're very kind to say that. You, You made it very easy, so thank you very much for taking some time to speak with me. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. Hey, before I let you go, could I get you to do a promo for my show? Of course. As long as it includes the word Sherry Anderson and Brandon's buzz, anything else you say is totally up to you. Hi, this is Sherry Anderson, and I just did a fantastic hour with Brandon from Brandon's Buzz. I've done a lot of interviews, and this was one of the best. So make sure you tune in for whoever he has, because I'm sure he'll make them sound fascinating. Fantastic. Thank you so, so, so much. I appreciate it, Brandon. Bye-bye. The fantastic Sherry Anderson, everybody, on Brandon's Buzz. Brandon's Buzz and the can. If you're listening, you already know, but in case you don't, Three places online to find Brandon's Buzz. Blogtalkradio.com slash Brandon's Buzz. That's kind of home base for the show. From there, you can listen to the show. You can download old episodes of the show. You can send messages. You can leave comments. It really is home base for Brandon's Buzz. Again, it's blogtalkradio.com slash Brandon's Buzz. You can also find me at brandonsbuzz.com, my blog. There at the top of any page on brandonsbuzz.com is a blue button marked radio. You click that button, that takes you to a full radio archive. All the episodes are there. You can listen to all of them. Uh, Again, that's the radio archive at brandonsbuzz.com. I'm also on iTunes, guys. I'm on iTunes. Uh, Just type Brandon's Buzz in the iTunes Music Store search box. Scroll down to the podcast section. Click on my logo from there. You You can download previous episodes of the show as podcasts 
or you can subscribe to the show and have new episodes automatically download to your library the minute they're uploaded to the store. So I'm all over the place. I'm on I'm on uh, Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I'm on iTunes. Google the words Brandon's Buzz, and something will pop up that points you in my direction. And I appreciate you guys coming in my direction. As always, I appreciate you guys finding me and listening to me, and I hope you continue finding and listening to Brandon's Buzz. Hi, everybody out there. This is Eileen Kristen, and I have just been on Brandon's Buzz. This is a great show and a very sophisticated mind. So spread the word, Brandon's Buzz. This is Claire Massey from Tammy Show, and you're listening to Brandon's Buzz. Great guy. Great show. Check it out. Hey, guys. This is Brett Claywell from One Life to Live, and you're listening to Brandon's Buzz. Hi. This is Lynn Herring on Brandon's Buzz. It's the great entertainment talk show on now. Brandon, I love you. Thanks for having me. (laughs) So if you feel that you just can't take it, and your world isn't what it seems, don't forget that life can be what you make it. Better when you live on a street of dreams. Hey, this is Nia Peoples, and you're with Brandon Buzz, the place to be. Hi, everybody. This is Nicholas Walker. Merci à vous tous. Écoutez Brandon Buzz sur Blog Talk Radio. Bonsoir et à très bientôt. <laughs> <laughs>